Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want people to come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord and, and live their, their life for Him. We're going to continue in our series through the New Testament book of Acts. We've been calling this the action of the church. And so if you have your Bible with you, please open to Acts chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. It's going to be helpful to just have your Bible open. And I'm calling this message, What It Takes to Be a Soul Winner. You know, I've heard so many so-called Christian preachers, they preach about the Christian life as if it's, a, it's just a walk in the park. You know, there's not a care in the world, and, and if there is anything that goes wrong, well, really what you need to do is you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just go out and get the life that you're supposed to have. You know, they, they promote Christianity almost like those, the salesmen on TV, if you remember the old ShamWow commercials, or, uh, or Flex Seal. That's how many Christian preachers preach today. And they preach about the good things at Christianity. And they just really want you to buy into Christianity, but yet they're leaving out a huge chunk. Um, I looked up some of my favorite quotes, if you will, from my least favorite preacher, um, and I couldn't bring myself. I read what this guy said, and I'm like, I don't feel comfortable repeating those words from the pulpit. So I went to my, I probably read about 50 of them. It's horrible. Um, so I went to my second least, <laughs> least favorite preacher, and these are some of the things that, that he said. Here's, here's one quote. You're probably going to guess who this is by the way I say it. But he says, God wants to bless you in such ways that people notice. He just wants to show out your life. Isn't that great? I'd say no. But anyways, how about this one? He says, you can't have a blessed day thinking about who offended you and what didn't work out. Think on positive things. That's just it. Just think on positive things. And, and, and life is just wonderful. How about this? If one dream dies, dream another dream. If you get knocked down, get back up and go again. Sounds like a Chamba Wamba song to me if you know who that band is. How about this? Do all you can do to make your dreams come true. That sounds like Napoleon Dynamite. You know, next he's going to say, he doesn't have any uh, sweet kung fu moves. But he was terrible. It's terrible preaching. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to make this Christian life just seem like there's never anything wrong. And if life is tough, then just make it happen. You know, I know somebody, he's not a preacher or a theologian, but he would call all that fake news. There is a cost to being a Christian, okay? There is a cost. If you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you. And life is going to be more difficult if you choose that path. And one of the things I love, one of the million things I love about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's up front with us. He's right up front and tells us that it's going to be a follower of his is going to cost us something. Jesus says it will cost you greatly to be a follower of his. That living the Christian life is going to be hard. You know, for some Christians, to be a Christian, it costs them their family. Did you know there's family that rejects family if they become a follower of Jesus Christ. For some people, it costs them friendship. For some, it's maybe a romantic relationship. For some people, it can cost them their career. For some people, maybe it'll cost them their government benefits. It can. In parts of the world, there's are still parts of the world today where becoming a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, it will cost you your life. The Bible tells us that the world is opposed to Christianity. That the world is opposed to Jesus Christ. And so that means life comes with a cost. 
And in most cases, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to attract opposition. Jesus says, because they hate me, they will hate you. And so being a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to get used to the idea of opposition. Especially if you're going to be an obedient Christian. Okay? Maybe you can escape opposition, you can escape hard times if you keep your Christianity a secret from the world. But I don't see that anywhere within the pages of our Bible. If you choose the path of obedience to Jesus, I promise you it will cost you. And by obedient, I mean if you're going to be the ones that shares the gospel in a dark, lost world to people that don't know Jesus Christ, if you're going to share the gospel with them, it's going to cost you. So now in Wyoming, think about it. This is not a place where we're going to see real opposition, okay? No one's going to come and burn down our houses and take us and drag us to jail, okay? But if you choose a life of being obedient, it's going to become more difficult than it otherwise would be. But then again, maybe we should be trying to, attempting to turn this difficult place a little more difficult for the glory of Jesus, right? Then maybe some of these more difficult places, even within our own community, we might make a little more difficult. So the name of Jesus can be known. You know, and when it comes to our purple personal witness, you know, we can choose. This is a path we can choose. We can just hope and pray. Well, maybe an unbeliever will come to this place. And then hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll hear the gospel and they'll get, they'll get saved. Or maybe we can have our little Bible studies with our little Christian friends. And just maybe one or two unbelievers will just happen to stumble into that place. And, and maybe God will save them. Or maybe there's some Christians that think, well, if God wants to save those people, then God's going to have to bring them here, and this, this bald preacher's going to have to preach the gospel if God wants to save them. Or maybe we can, we can just hope they show up at some uh, evangelistic rally or Christian event and hear the gospel and get saved. Or, here's another option. We can choose to share the gospel with the lost. To tell people who are separated from God about the love of God and how He came and died because we are sinners. Maybe we can do that. We can attempt to be a, a light in, in, our, in our workplace. We can choose to do that. We can find ways to become involved in our, in our communities, uh, to, to be the ones to share the gospel with people. Maybe you can join our... We've got a team going to Columbia next year. We're going to go and share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. We can reach out into our non-Christian, these non-Christian groups, to our non-Christian friends and share uh, with them the people that are separated from God because they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Or we can just stay back. Stay back where it's comfortable. Stay back where there's not a care in the world and just, just not tell anybody. Or we can be the ones to hit the front lines with the gospel. The city of Corinth... It's a difficult place to share the gospel, okay? Paul faced incredible opposition in the, in the city of Corinth, okay? In Acts chapter 18, we're going to see that the apostle Paul chose to live the obedient Christian life, okay? In a place that was openly hostile to the gospel. And so with that, let's pick up our Bibles in Acts chapter 18, reading in verse 1. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to them. And because he was one of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one, 
we must use our occupations as means to share the gospel. Okay? We don't know how or when or exactly how this all went down, but somewhere along the lines, Paul learned the, the trade of tent making. And by the province of God working to, to put people together, the, Paul was guided to some fellow Christians, some Jews named Aquila and Priscilla. And they're, they're also tent makers. And so most likely, Aquila and Priscilla, they, they converted to Christianity while in Rome. Um, but then there was some anti-Semitism in Rome, and they were kicked out. They're forced out. And so they, they, they chose to move their business from Rome, and they come to Corinth. Okay, but think about this. Maybe it was hard. Think about how hard it would be to uproot, uproot your business and move it several hundred miles. And so it's probably very difficult for them to do that, but the Lord had planned it. And for so Aquila and Priscilla, they would be in the same place, you know, working along with, with Paul. And this is where we really get our, our first point of the day. Living the Christian life, it demands that we find a way to, to be in these non-Christian circles that gives us acceptance in a society so that we can be the ones to be a witness to the lost. Here's a question. Think about this. How do we get in front of non-believers? The longer you're a believer, the less unbelieving friends you have. It's really easy to get in this little Christian circle. So how do we get in front of non-believers is we find a way into their life, okay? And so in order to do that, we really need an identity, if you will. And so for so many of us, that means our career or maybe even a hobby. You know, I'm willing to bet there's somebody that's thinking here in the back of their minds. You're thinking, well, if my job, it's out of line to share the gospel. You know, we aren't allowed to do that where I work. Well, it might be against the rules, but guess what? That's by design. And I'll give you one guess who designed it that way. Of course we're not allowed to share our faith in every setting. The devil would never allow that to happen. In fact, he's doing everything he can to make sure that you never share the gospel with the lost. Okay, that you never speak about the love of Jesus and him dying for, for sinners. Our society is becoming more and more anti-Christian. It really is happening at breakneck speed. But think about this. What if I chose to, to teach the, the principles of Buddhism openly? What if I wanted to teach the, the five pillars of Islam? What if I want to teach about the Vedas of Hinduism? It's weird that those are openly accepted, but yet to try to tell people that God became a man and came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and that he went to the cross and he suffered and died because we are sinners... That he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again. And if you trust in him by faith, by grace, you are saved. It's weird how there's one of those that's rejected, and yet the other ones are openly accepted. Weird, right? So there are so many places that Christians just simply won't go because they're not openly accepted. So you know what? God needs tent makers. God needs tent makers to go to places where, where the gospel isn't allowed to go. You know, there's a lot of countries that if I chose to choose, go there and on the little entry form, I'm filling out occupation. If I put pastor, I'm going to be put on the plane and head and send back to the United States, right? But there's other um, occupations where people are allowed in. You know, maybe a realtor or a mechanic or a businesswoman, a lawyer, an English teacher, a doctor. It is so much easier for them to get into places, some places, than a pastor, Right? And so I'll say that God loves to use a tent maker 
to go to places where pastors can't go. There are some that use their employment as an excuse why they don't have time to evangelize. They don't have time to share the gospel with those that are lost. Or maybe there's family commitments, or maybe it's their hobbies. They just don't have time to tell people about Jesus. Some decline to serve in different ministries in the church because of their time. It's just too precious, and, and they're too busy building a, a career, maintaining a, a hobby. They just don't have time. But I don't want to say that's not by God's design. God does not call accountants to simply crunch numbers. God does not call realtors to just simply sh- to sell houses. No. We are to use these occupations as, as avenues to get in front of non-believers and tell them about the love of God. There was a preacher, he said this, he said, quote, There is nothing incompatible between earning your living in business and being active in, as a Christian evangelism. So here's a question for us. If we're in some kind of business or trade, are we using that opportunity to grow the kingdom of God? How about this? Do your employees or your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Do the contractors you work with, do the people you supervise know that, that you're a Christian? How about this? Does your boss know that you love Jesus and he is the center point of your entire life? Christianity is not just some exclusive compartment within our lives. Christianity is supposed to find and filtrate into every single aspect of our, of our lives, especially within our work. And I just wonder, maybe, do we get so focused on on finding money, making money, getting that next promotion, getting that next sale, that it really begins to blind us to spiritual truths? It is so very easy to compartmentalize our our Christianity from our, our spiritual life, from the rest of our life. But that way of thinking is completely foreign to the Bible. We need to recognize that a very busy career has potential to wreck our spiritual life. And it's so important that we analyze our job or or our career and think about how is it affecting our spiritual life. Because there are some companies that will drive their employees to the ground. There are some companies that want their employees to believe that they exist to serve the company. But if we use our careers or or our jobs to push our, our Christian life aside, then we've gotten off track. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. So remember, a workplace that you find your identity in, it's there so that we have the ability to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So that means if you're a teacher, then you're a teacher that tells people about Jesus. If you're a stay-at-home mom, then you're a stay-at-home mom that finds ways to tell people about Jesus. If you're a secretary, then you're a secretary that tells people about Jesus the, the occupation, the job that God has given us, He's given us that so we'll be a light into a dark world. Here's my second point this morning. Point number two. We must be flexible so that we can win the loss to Christ. You see, we need to, it helps to know that life in Corinth, it was really around business and trade. Think of the New York Stock Exchange. Okay? That's life in Corinth, if you will. The people in Corinth, they were all about money, all about business. And so what it seems that what Paul does is he he changes his approach. He changes his approach to reach the people in Corinth. You see, Paul chose a career not just simply to pay the bills. Paul chose this job so he could be a witness. 
Paul tells us in his letter to, to the Corinthians later on that it was a, an intentional choice on his part so that he'd have the ability to share the gospel. You see, he saw within the context of the city of Corinth, it was best to support himself, not by offerings, but by labor. And he gives a couple reasons for this in, in the letter to uh, the Corinthians. He, he says that first off, he wanted to make the gospel free of charge in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, he didn't want to burden the people with, with, with him so, that to, so he could make a living. So that's what he did. And another reason, he says, is because he wanted to identify with the people that were there. there. There was a time when Paul said that he becomes all things to all men so that he might win some. So what he did was he would look around and he would try to find a way into different groups and that he's trying to reach them with the gospel. Theologians call what Paul is doing contextualization, okay? This term means removing obstacles uh, to the gospel and identify with people so that you can reach them with the gospel. You know, for me, contextualization has everything to do with sports, specifically wrestling. Okay, I wrestled in high school and then in college, and, and then I went on, I went up to coach high school for, for eight seasons. In the middle there, I got saved, Okay, and now I realize that's my avenue to, to get into the lives. You know, sports are kind of the mission field, but the end goal for me is the gospel. And an important component of contextualization is flexibility. For example, when Paul was in Athens, we, we talked about this a, little, a couple weeks ago. He presented himself in the marketplace as this visiting lecturer. And so he could have access to people with Athens. But in the very business-minded city of Corinth, he became a tent maker. He became a businessman so he could have access to the people of Corinth. What Paul is doing, he's adapting, he's changing. And he says to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Greeks, I became a Greek. He, he adapts and changes and becomes a lecturer in Athens. To, so the philosophers will hear him. And to the, the, he becomes a tent maker to the business people in Corinth. Now, was Paul being a phony? No, that wasn't his, he was doing it all. He was determined that he's going to reach people where they were at. And so that tells us that we must be willing to turn on a dime to do what it takes to reach people so that, that they know that God loves them. This is what Paul was. He's ready to adapt and to react to people. He changes. Now, real quick, that doesn't mean that we're to become cannibals so that we can reach people that are cannibals, Right? That doesn't mean we become prostitutes so we can go reach the prostitutes. No, that's not what that means. Contextualization is never an excuse for sin. We should never go outside the perimeters of Scripture in our attempts to win the lost. But here's the thing. If a church's ministry is exactly the same as it was 50 years ago, then maybe they missed the mark. Because our society changes, so we have to change to, with them so we can reach them with the gospel. We see that Paul becomes all things to all people so that he might win some. But that requires him to be strategic. It actually requires Paul to give up his rights. We spoke about that in Acts chapter 16. And to find ways to have commonality with people. Continue reading. Look in verse 4 of Acts chapter 18. It says, And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was preoccupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to, him, said to them, 
Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Here's my third point. Point number three. We must be prepared to accept it when people reject the gospel. Okay? As usual, Paul goes to the synagogue and he's attempting to persuade the Jews and the Greeks that are there. And also we're told that Silas and Timothy, they finally arrived from Macedonia. Very likely they have some, some money. That, so now Paul doesn't have to spend as much time being a tent maker. He can, he can focus on his messages and his teaching and preaching. But verse 5 says that Paul testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And Paul was met by opposition. He was met with rejection because of this message. In fact, Luke tells us they reviled him. It's a strong word, the amount of hatred that Paul is experiencing for preaching the gospel. Maybe that sounds weird to you. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time, and to hear that somebody rejects the gospel, that just sounds weird. But we need to recognize there are some people that they simply don't want Jesus. You know, I have family members of mine that are adamantly opposed to the gospel in Jesus Christ. They want nothing to do with Jesus And there are some people that reject Jesus to the point that they become hostile to the gospel. Okay, to the point of rejection, all we can do is accept the fact that they've rejected Jesus. After all, that's exactly what Paul does. He shakes out his garment. He says, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. Paul shaking out his garments, this is a symbolic gesture that meant that he's cutting off his, he's he's not going to try to reach them anymore. Okay? It's not Paul's job to convert anybody. Okay? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The same is true for us. It's not our job to win anybody. That's, that's God's job. Our job is just simply go. But the opposition that Paul experienced was so vile and the rejection so final that he says, I'm innocent. And he, he's saying, I'm clear of the responsibility. I've shared the gospel with you. I came what I came to do. You rejected it. Now it's your choice. Okay? This is an example to us that if people want to reject the gospel so vehemently, we're no longer obligated to stay and to shove the gospel down their throat, to change their minds, especially when you think about there's someone somewhere elsewhere that wants to hear the gospel. Okay? There's people that want to hear the good news. So we don't have to sit there and try to change someone's mind that doesn't want to hear it. Okay? But notice what Paul does not do. Some preachers aren't okay with rejection. Okay? There's some preachers that won't take no for an answer. So there's some people that want, that want people to accept the gospel, accept Jesus so much as what they do is they twist the gospel. They change the gospel to make it just a little more attractive. But I'll say that's not what Paul does. He doesn't try to come up with some Christian Judaism combo mix, if you will. He doesn't try to bend the message so these people become followers of Christ. He doesn't water down the message to make it more palatable and make it more attractive. But again, that's a sad reality today. Some preachers leave the message of truth somewhere else and they present a message that's more satisfying, more easy, less offensive to a pluralistic culture, if you will. Okay? And we have to be aware of that danger. You know, we can change our programs, but we can never change the gospel. Kind of, well, an example of what I'm talking about, the actual de- definition of tolerance, is that you respect one another's opinions on, on certain matters, and you'll agree to disagree. 
But today's culture, today's culture says that tolerance now means that you agree with the person, irregardless if they're the right or not. And that if you don't agree with the person, what they believe, then you are the one that's being intolerant. And more and more Christians are being seen as the bad guys. Okay? There's people who say, oh, you Christians are so narrow-minded, you're so hateful, you're such a bunch of bigots. But Paul, he's an example to us to never compromise. Now, Paul does bend where he can bend. There are some things we can bend on, and there are some things we can't bend on. And Paul doesn't bend on the things he cannot bend on. And he says, your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent. This is what God says about this. Okay? This, is, this is some harsh words from the Father in the Old Testament. Read with me in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. God says, if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak a warning the wicked from his wicked ways in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I require, require of your hands. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquities. But you have delivered your soul. Paul says, you don't want to listen to me? Fine. Okay? Your blood be on your own heads. You see, Paul understands the consequences, the severity of what's going to happen if they reject Jesus. But then again, Paul doesn't choose to preach a half message. He doesn't choose to just preach about heaven. No. He, he introduces them to hell. You know, he, he, he wants them to know that, that there's a hell waiting for people to reject Jesus. He wants them to know that the rejection of Jesus Christ, it is a lethal decision. You know what? That's how it should be for us. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Here's another harsh word, a hard word to hear from our Lord and Savior. Jesus says this in Matthew 10 verse 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that, the house or town. Truly I say to you, it would be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is what Jesus is saying. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming for everybody that doesn't accept this message. For anybody that rejects the gospel, there's judgment coming. Okay? Listen, I don't like preaching about hell. It is not my favorite topic to preach on, okay? I don't want to tell people that I love they're going to hell forever. In fact, I don't want to tell people that I don't love that they're going to hell but how unloving would it be for me to not share the gospel with someone that doesn't know? There was a very famous person that said something about this that stopped me in my tracks. And this was so powerful because the person that said this quote I'm going to give to you in a minute, they're not a Christian. In fact, they're, they're an atheist. They're a staunch atheist. And the man that, and that made this statement, his name is Pendulette. Maybe you've heard of Penn and Teller, illusionists and, and comedians. They're terribly um, talented. They're incredible. Well, Penn is the taller of the two. And this is what he says concerning this issue. He said, quote, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Proselytize, sharing the gospel, telling the good news, trying to convince somebody that their spiritual belief is, is wrong and this one's right. That's proselytizing. He says, I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell... That people could be going there to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever you think. It's not worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? 
If I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that a truck was bearing down in you, there's a certain point that I'd tackle you. And this is more important than that. You know, I think what Mr. Gillette said is exactly right, spot on about what non-believers believe about Christians. Okay? But here's the deal. Do we believe that there's an eternal heaven? Absolutely. Do we believe in an eternal hell? Yes, we do. But how much do we have to hate somebody? Not to tell them because it would be socially awkward. Think about it. That very nice, sweet neighbor of ours is in front of us at the store at Blair's and they're putting their milk on the conveyor belt. How much do we have to hate them not to tell them because it would be socially awkward? Or how about the very nice, sweet person that's standing on the grass field at one of a dozen different sports events that our kids play? How much do we have to hate them not to tell them because it would be socially awkward? Oh, how about the very nice, sweet person that works with us five days a week, that unbeliever, that we, and we don't tell them because it would be socially awkward? Tell them there's a truck bearing down on them, that there's a hell that's going to wait them for all eternity if they don't come to know Jesus as their Savior? At what point do we tackle them? Are we certain there's an eternal hell that's coming their way? Yes! Well, then I think it's time we start tackling people. I don't mean literally. I, I mean, be radical. Do whatever it takes so that we can share the gospel of forgiveness through what our Savior did on the cross. You invite that very nice, sweet neighbor friend of yours over to dinner in your house so that you can share the gospel with them. Invite that very nice, sweet person standing on that grass field out to lunch so that you can share the gospel with them. Invite that very nice, sweet co-worker of ours to church so they can hear the gospel. And you know what? I think if we all did this, if every single one of us are, is doing this, then we're doing exactly what a creator God has called us to do. You know, I, know, I recognize it's hard to face rejection. And I think that's why so many of us don't share the gospel. We see it, it was painful for Paul to face rejection from his people. It was the Jewish people that was rejecting Paul. Listen to the heart of Paul, what he says about this in Romans chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself would be accursed. That word accursed is anathema. It means damned to hell. Paul says, I myself were damned to hell and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that he wished he could be cut off from Jesus if that meant the Jewish people could be saved. There are some people who say that Paul was anti-Semitic. No way! Paul loved the Jewish people. Let me be honest. This is a verse I've struggled with greatly early in my Christian life. Because every word of the Bible is true. This means what Paul's saying right here is absolutely true. And I had, to, I had to think about this. I said, is there anybody that I could honestly say this about? Paul saying, I would give up my salvation if the, and spend eternity in hell if the Jews would come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And I, I mean, I think about everybody in this world. There's nobody in this world I love more than my wife. She's, num- she's the number one human being. Now think about it. If she came to me and says, you know what, John? I don't believe in Jesus. I, I, I never believed that I was lying the whole time. Could I honestly say the words of Paul and say I would go to hell for all eternity if that meant she got saved? If I'm being honest, probably not. 
So here's why I think Paul can say what he says in Romans 9.3 and mean it. This is why, because Paul is so kingdom-minded that he's saying he would give up eternity with Jesus if that means Jesus is glorified. That Paul's being honest. He's saying, I will go to hell for all eternity if that means the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus would grow. So here's my question to all of us. Is there any of us here that have that kind of mindset? They're saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I mean, after, Paul, after all, Paul's saying he's willing to go to hell if that means that Jesus is glorified. Are we willing to share the gospel even if it goes really, really bad for us? I'll leave that for you to decide. Keep reading. Go to verse 7, Acts chapter 18. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And there no one will attack you and harm, harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Here's my fourth point for us this morning. Point number four. There's a courage factor if you're going to be a soul winner. Okay? Think about this. It would be very easy for Paul to leave after the opposition that he just experienced, right? To bail. You know, after he's, he's humiliated, they've rejected him, there's been danger... Who would have blamed Paul if he said, you know what, I quit. Forget you. I'm going I'm to go grab my golf clubs and go play golf for the rest of my life. You guys can have it. You know, that's not what Paul did. He keeps going. And he ends up leading a man named Crispus and his entire household to Christ. And the text tells us that Crispus is a leader of the synagogues. Not only Crispus, but many Corinthians were going to give their life to Christ. And Paul stayed, didn't he? He stayed and he saw a fruitful ministry even though he was afraid. You know, there's a temptation for us to look at a man like Paul and go, you know, he's got it all together. There's no, there's, you know, he's, he's never afraid. That, that Paul is like a superhero among men. That Paul's never afraid of anything. But, you know, that's simply not the case. I mean, think about this. Paul just got kicked out of Athens. He, he, he heard about King Herod using a sword and killing James. He heard about that. Paul was shackled and imprisoned. He was physically beaten up. Remember when he was stoned in Derby? I mean, that's kind of a big deal. And I'm sure the scars from the flogging that he had while in Philippi, the wounds are probably still really fresh at this point. And again, who would have blamed Paul if he just said, you know what, I've had enough, enough is enough, I'm just going to take it easy for the rest of my life. But he doesn't. You know what? God encourages Paul right here. God encouraged Paul, and that kept him going. Paul received encouragement God, from God, I see, in three ways. And the first way that he was, received encouragement, to know that he's in the right place. Paul needed to know he's in the right place, that he didn't make a mistake by leaving Athens, that he was right there, right where God needed him. You know, so God said to him in a vision, hey, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. I'm with you. No one's going to attack you. you know, and I have many people in this place. Paul received encouragement from God to know that 
He didn't misread the Lord. Paul didn't make some mistake by leaving Athens. Corinth was a place he needed to be. You know, there's times in my life, I've been here over three years, I need to, I need to know I'm in the right place, God. Wyoming is where you want me, and God's told me that all these people getting saved, and the churches come together, and, and just the gospel going crazy. Yes, I'm exactly where, where God needs me. This is the right place. And that was encouragement to me, and you know what? The same is true for you. There's times with being a soul winner, being where in your place of business, is this where I need to be? You got to pray to God. Say, God, I, I, I need to see something. I got to know I'm in the right place. You know what? He will. He's got you right where he needs you, so pray to him. Here's a, Paul received encouragement by understanding that God was with him. Paul needed to know, that, that, well, he did know that Corinth was a tough place to be a, a soul winner. But he wasn't alone, right? God was with him every step of the way. God was protecting him uh, uh, from, while he's doing the job as an evangelist. And maybe that's something you need to hear today. Okay? That God is with you this morning. Jesus promised us in John chapter 14 that he would not leave us as orphans, that the Spirit would be with us as believers. You know God's with you. You're doing what you've been called to do in the place where you've been called to be. God's with you. Here's the third way Paul received encouragement, by understanding that God was sovereign. And a sovereign God had a sovereign plan for Paul. God said in that text, he says, I have many in this city who are my people. Notice that phrase, I have, that's present tense. But think about it, they're in Corinth. At this moment, there's almost no believers in Corinth other than Paul and the gang and this guy who just got saved right here. But yet God is sovereign and God is omnipotent and he knows everything. God knows that there's people that are going to come to faith in him. That there are lost pagan worshipers today in Corinth that are going to play saving faith tomorrow in the coming weeks and months. And God's going to use Paul to make that happen. And these are words that encourage Paul because now he knows there's people that are going to get saved through the work that he's going to be doing in Corinth. And isn't that amazing? That we have a God that can say something like, you know what, i got people that belong to me even before they know they belong to him. You follow me? God's saying, hey, Paul, your work's not in vain. I have many people in this place. That's what God is saying. So do you, do you need courage to live the Christian life? To be bold in your witness, to share the gospel? Well, I want to let you know it's okay to have fear. There's nothing wrong with that. Courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the harnessing of fear. Do you need encouragement? Well, let me tell you, talk to your creator God this morning. I'm also going to encourage you to come to church regularly, come and worship here and sing praises to God. Be a part of a small group Bible study where you get in there and talk to, to other, other Christians, read your Bible, and those things fill you up with courage. God still has people here in the city of Warren that belong to Him even before they know it. You know what? I think God's going to use us to do it. God's going to use the members of Cross Point Baptist Church to reach out down these little streets right here. These boys and girls, these men and women that don't even know Christ, but they're going to know Christ. They're going to come to know Christ through the work that we do. So be encouraged. And I want to have a final note here to anybody who might be an unbeliever this morning. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. God has many people in this city is what God said. So God knows that you belong to Him even before you know that you belong to Him. 
Is there a nagging in the back of your mind? You come to this place every Sunday and there's just this nagging. You, you got something you need to do. There's, 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 there's something more. There's something you're missing. And you come back and back and again. And, and God is just drawing to your, you to this place. Maybe you're one of the ones that belong to God before you even know it. And maybe it's time that you start thinking about your relationship with God. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you recognized that you're a sinner? The things you've done, it makes you a sinner. The lying, the cheating, the stealing, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus went to the cross and he bore my sin and your sin and the very wrath of God. Jesus took it all and he was buried in the tomb and then he came back from the grave. It says, whoever believes in me, they, they will be saved. Are you here and you just feel this nagging to, to come to Christ? If that's you, then pray to Him. Recognize your sinner and ask Him to save you. Something along the lines of, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And my sin, it separates me from you. There's nothing I can do about it, but you love me. And you came and you died for me. You took my punishment. I want to give you my life. Save me from my sins. I want to live my life for you and, and make me more like you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. And I pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen.